Well, it is a great pleasure to welcome all of you, to add my welcome to that you've received from other people, and very much looking forward to this time. I've been looking forward to this particular day for quite some time as we think about some of the stuff that's in front of us right now, but good to welcome you, good to welcome you in the room, good to welcome you in other rooms like the classic venue or the moon campus, and to welcome those of you at home or wherever you are catching this online. Just good to be together. Good to have the opportunity to open up God's Word and to be thinking about the things that He might lead us into in the way that He might be moving in us and in our hearts as a fellowship as we consider what He has to say to us here today. Well, the snowstorm came in unexpectedly, at least as unexpectedly as can happen in the middle of a, of a Minnesota winter. And uh, there's never, you know, too much distance between them. But we weren't expecting this one because it wasn't on the radar. It wasn't in the forecast. And we were due to take a flight that morning, Christmas morning. And so we were on the way to the airport. But because it caught everybody off guard, the, the traffic was moving actually very slowly. And we were getting very nervous as our departure time got closer and closer. And we were still in the car. Well, by the time we pulled into the airport parking lot, our flight was due to take off in 15 minutes. And so we were rushing, to say the least. Of course, we had a bag we had to check and uh, also had to stop at the counter to get one of those paper tickets. That was back in those days. Yes, I am that old to remember paper tickets, and some of you do too. But uh, anyway, so now it's five minutes before the flight. So we rushed down to security. Now, thankfully, this was pre-9-11, so we didn't have to take off all our clothes. And uh, so we got through two minutes to go. But it was, the gate was a concourse over, and so I took off sprinting and told Carolyn to get there as quickly as she could. She had the stroller, she had the kids, and, uh, so she, but I wanted to get there before they closed the door. And, and I rounded the corner right as they were starting to close the door to the jetway. And I said, stop, stop, stop. Wait, I need to get on this flight, and my family is just right behind me. And the agent said, I'm sorry, sir, I can let you on because you're here, but I have to close this door, and I cannot wait for your family. So what could I do? I got on and let Carolyn find her own way. Yeah, no, 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 I I did not do that. I didn't, I I begged the agent. I said, please, please, they'll be right behind me, please just... And I don't know if it was because Chris, it was Christmas Day or just what, but this agent extended some grace to me and to our family. And she held the door and she waited for Carolyn and the girls to arrive and we got on the plane. The passengers that were waiting on the plane for us weren't quite as gracious, but, uh, but that's the way that our journey began. And today we're thinking about the beginning of another journey. A very important journey where also we're going to see grace as a centerpiece and grace very much on display because today we are launching our way into this brand new sermon series where we're looking at the book of Romans. I am so excited about this. I hope you're excited about this also. I know that you know that that's what we're doing because in your hands you hold one of these scripture journals that tells you that we are going through Romans. This is our gift to you. This is something that we want you to have, something that hopefully assists you as we make our way along in this study. And uh, you can see that it has the scripture on one side of the page, the entire scripture of the 16 chapters of Romans. And on the other side, it has a place for you 
to write down your notes. Each week, you might want to take the, the outline that we give to you, the sermon outline. You might want to transfer it over along with other things that you hear that sort of spark your attention or other facts that you might think might be useful. And at the end of our series together, you will have for yourself a reference tool that you can keep handy, maybe near where you keep your Bible or on the shelf where you have your Bible tools or whatever the case. This might be your very first Bible tool, but you can have it when we get all done with this and it can be a reference for you going forward. And so I am encouraging you to bring this back every week as we make our way through this series. It's very important so that you might be able to continue to fill things in as we go. It's also very important because I have a feeling that my personal self-esteem is going to be directly tied to whether you bring your journal week by week. All right, so, so no pressure. Don't, don't feel like you have to do it for me, but I'll be devastated if you don't, all right? Just so we get that sort of straightened out as we go. And jot some things down in here as we, even if you're writing down your grocery list, I'll never know, but it'll look like you're writing and getting something out of it. So I'd appreciate it if you would do that. Another thing that you could do as we get started is if you just open it up to this very first page inside the cover, and if you would write your full name, on, first and last name, on this journal along with your phone number. Because there are going to be hundreds of these that are going to be floating around Pathway, and it won't be hard at all for one of them to get left in the cafe or wherever it might be, and we're going to wonder, whose is that? And there's some writing in here, and we'd love to get it back to you because we're not going to have enough to just keep handing them out all the way along as we go. So that way we'll be able to get it back into your hands. If you're listening to this online, then uh, you can contact the church and we can get that to you or we'll be handing these out again next week. So come on out and, and we can enjoy making our way through this together. Now as you look at this opening page on the inside of the cover, you can see that it says English Standard Version. We typically have been using the New International Version, the NIV, though we have done some series out of the English Standard Version. Very, very solid scripture translation. Very readable, yet very accurate to what the what the original texts actually are. And so that's what we're going to be using. You might not have an ESV Bible. Well, you do have ESV Romans, and it's in your hand. So again, please do bring these back. Right at the top of the first note page, you might want to write... Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, because that's where we're going to be starting today. And so I hope you have that. If you don't have it, you can make your way to the back of whatever room you're in, and you can get one there. So Romans is where we are today. I love the book of Romans. It is so powerful. It is so rich. It is so full. It is so deep as well. It is certainly very theological, but at the same time, it's immensely practical, and it's accessible, more accessible than what you might think. A lot of people say they're a little bit intimidated by Romans, and I completely understand that, but I think as we make our way along, we're going to see that we can actually get access into what the Scriptures are talking about in Romans and understand them for how we are living our lives. And where we see the book of Romans read and understood, we see that it changes lives. It's done that throughout the ages. In fact, the name Augustine might be familiar to you. Well, he didn't start as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's a life that has been impacted by Romans, 
He actually left home, kind of ran away from home at the age of 16, and he was living a lustful and immoral life. He was promoting heretical philosophies, and this is the direction that he was going, but one day he felt compelled to open up the Scriptures, and specifically the book of Romans, and he opens it up, and the place where it opens to is Romans chapter 13, and he reads a few verses in Romans chapter 13 and ends up committing his life to Jesus. Or you've got Martin Luther. You certainly know that name. Martin Luther was one who was very concerned about this idea of justification by faith. He hated that doctrine, and he hated that doctrine because what he understood it to be is something where God was judging him and that he could never live up to the righteous demands of the law. Then he read Romans and came to understand what justification by faith is really all about, and he ends up that ends up being the impetus, actually, for the Protestant Reformation out of Romans. John Wesley, another reformer, is a guy who was just listening to the introduction to Luther's commentary on Romans and some of the verses that it spoke of. And Wesley committed his life to Jesus because of the power of the book of Romans. And we could go on and on and on. And I cannot wait to see how God uses this book in our lives, in our fellowship, to move us forward in the way that he is going to impact our life and our church as we study this book together. So today the journey begins. And it, as it does so, I want to get right to the text because there's so much here for us to learn and to understand. And, and today's going to be a bit introductory and we're going to sort of set the foundation for where we are going to get us off to a good start. And so one of the first pieces we discover about this journey are our traveling companions. Again, this is part of the outline. I'd encourage you each week to just take the outline out of the pathway notes. You could just stick it in there, or you could transfer it over, and it would be some things to then include in what we're talking about. So the traveling companions. And if you look at the outline, you can see that there are two traveling companions, and I've given you the initials of each of them here. You have AP, and you have R. S. Now, that's not, maybe you're trying to figure out, well, who are they? And it's not Al Pacino and Richard Simmons, though that would be an interesting journey, to say the least. It's not Amy Poehler and Ryan Seacrest. It's something far better than that. Anybody want to take a stab at who AP is? The Apostle Paul, that is exactly right. Very good, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be journeying with him all the way through Romans because he's the one who wrote the book for us. And so we're going to be learning a lot about him as we go. But first of all, we see that he is the author. Go ahead and take a look at the very first verse here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. We call Romans a book, a book of the Bible, and it is that, but really it is ultimately a letter, a letter that has been written. Now, if you're new to the study of the Bible, you might not be familiar with the fact that in ancient literature, in an ancient letter, that the author would put his name at the beginning, or she would put her name at the beginning of that letter instead of at the end like we do it. And it seems that their model is a whole lot better than what ours is, because what's the first thing that you do if you receive a letter anyway, assuming it doesn't have the return address on the envelope? The first thing that you do is pass out from the fact that somebody sent you an actual letter. 
But after that, you look at the bottom to see who wrote it before you ever read it because it completely changes the context or an understanding of the context of what you're reading. So here Paul tells us right from the outset, I'm the one who is writing this to you. And we're going to learn a lot about him in our study, but there are some essential facts that I just want to set up as we get off and running on here, just, uh, just really quickly. Some essential facts about the Apostle Paul. One of those is that his hometown is this place called Tarsus. It is in modern-day Turkey, just north of the, of the Mediterranean. It turns from Israel. It's just right up there. That's his hometown. As for his education, it was under this rabbi, this amazingly knowledgeable rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, the understood to be the best teacher of his day. Paul has the best education you could ever receive. It's been, you know, it's, it's perhaps considered to be like uh, an Ivy League education, like Yale, or a school like Harvard, or like Pathway Preschool, or one of the finer educational institutions, that's where Paul gets his knowledge. Now, as for his life before he met Jesus, he was born a Jew, though a Roman citizen, and that's going to come into play as we make our way along. And he was educated and then became a Pharisee of the ruling council of the Jews. And as a Pharisee, he hated Jesus. He hated Christians. Because the Christians, Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. The Christians were promoting that idea. And he's like, no way, I don't believe that. And so he would persecute the Christians. In fact, when we first meet Peter, it comes in Acts chapter 7, where we find him actually overseeing the the stoning of Stephen. Stephen's just preached. He's preached the gospel. And Paul's like, yeah, let me hold your coats while you, while you guys stone this guy. Well, eventually, Jesus gets control of his life through his conversion, which takes pl place along the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. You can read all about that. That would be some great extra credit reading for you between now and next week. The Damascus Road, many of you know the story, the blinding light gets his attention. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you going down this road? And he ends up blind for a few days. He's led into Damascus. He eventually gets instructed, and he comes to understand the message of the gospel and turns his life over to Jesus Christ, which leads to his life focus after Jesus, where he is an apostle. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. He oftentimes is referred to as a missionary, in fact, the greatest missionary. He was a church planner. He travels all around so that he might present the gospel of Jesus Christ once he comes to understand what that is all about. So just a little bit there to, to set the table for who is this Paul guy that we're talking about. Then he says something else which is very important here as you look Look in verse 1, talks about his role and position. He says that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word servant is a perfectly appropriate translation there, but there's a little something more to it. It is actually the Greek word doulos, which can also be translated as slave. Now, don't think American slave, where the person didn't have any options, didn't have any rights. Paul has both of those things, but he's willingly choosing to subjugate his life to the purposes of God. He's saying, my life needs to be lived as a slave to Christ. And I'm happy to have my life understood to be just that. Interestingly enough, his name Paul originally was Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus. A lot of people think, well, his name was changed when he came to faith in Jesus on, at his conversion. That's not true. It didn't happen at that point. It actually happens that he starts using the name Paul when he begins his first missionary journey. Paul means little. It means small. 
If you were going to give yourself a new name, you probably wouldn't name yourself, Hi, I'm small. Hi, I'm little, right? You'd name some, something big. His original name was. Saul is. It's after the first king of Israel. Powerful, strong, mighty. Man, now he says, I'm little. And it is in keeping with us idea here that he is a servant. That's what he sees himself to be. It's not about him. It's about Jesus. That's the model that he saw in Jesus. And it's the model that Paul gives us in the life that we see him living as well. Very important to understand that. Now, to whom is he writing this letter? It's, another, it's the other traveling companion that we have. It's R.S., not Ringo Starr. It is the Roman saints. That's what R.S. is standing for here. To see this group, we're going to just jump down to verse 7. Skip over those other verses. We'll come back to them. Verse 7 tells us who's being written to. It says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had longed to go to Rome, but he had been prevented to do so because of a number of other ministry responsibilities that God had given to him. What Paul was is he's a missionary, and for over a decade of his life, he takes these three different missionary journeys to various places through Asia Minor and into Achaia and Macedonia or modern-day Turkey, and then across the Aegean Sea, essentially, is where he has been operating. He visited and ministered in a number of places, some of which I'm sure that you've heard the names of, places like Ephesus and Troas and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. These are the places that he's traveling, and he'd go into each of these different towns, and he would go first into the synagogue where his Jewish friends would be, probably not friends at this point, but, but Jewish people would be, and he'd preach to them about Jesus, and how Jesus was the promised Messiah. And some of those people would come to faith, and, and he'd go out into other places in the city, and he'd preach to the Gentiles, and some of them would come to faith in Jesus as well, and he'd collect the Jews and the Gentiles who came to, to faith in Christ, these new Christians, and, and they would form a church, and Paul would help to get that off the ground and started. But Paul himself never made it to Rome, at least not yet at this point. Actually, right at the end of that third missionary journey, he ends up in Corinth, and it's from Corinth that he writes this letter. So while he's in Corinth that he writes Romans in AD 57. 57, that would be a good thing for your notebook there. He writes to the believers in Rome. And we know that there are believers in Rome. How do we know? Because Paul tells us. He says he's writing to the Roman saints. Now, depending on what your church background might happen to be, you hear this word saint and you might think, think one thing over another. A lot of people hear saint and because of your church background you think, oh, well, those are the super spiritual people. Those are the ones who go above and beyond. Those are the ones who actually have some special spiritual status placed on them. Sometimes it's referred to as being canonized as a saint. That comes out of certain church traditions. That's not the biblical understanding of what a saint is. That's not the biblical understanding of what a saint is. When Paul says he's writing to the saints, he's simply saying, I'm writing to the ones who have put their faith in Jesus. A saint is just a believer in Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a saint in the biblical standpoint, from the biblical point of view. 
So where do these saints in Rome come from? See, so many of these others, we know that Paul went there and he preached and, and they came to faith and Paul started up a church. Well, here there are saints in Rome. There are believers in Rome, but we're not told about this letter being written to the leader in the church in Rome and Paul's never been there to start a church. So where do they come from? Great question. Answer. If you look into Acts chapter 2, You may know that Acts chapter 2 is actually where it records and refers to the day of Pentecost and the church getting its start and the the Spirit of God falling on the people and and 3,000 come to faith in just that day. And actually right there in Acts chapter 2, I think it's verse 10, it talks about these visitors who were there from Rome. It's not hard at all to imagine that these ones who have come and have had their lives transformed while they were visiting go back home now and they continue to meet together and they share their story and other people come to believe as well. And and so it starts to spring up and very organically the church in Rome gets its start. No doubt Paul knew about the church and and wanted to go and visit them and teach them and and help other people to come into the faith. But not being able to do that in person, he does the next best thing, which is he writes this letter. This is the context in which he's writing and the people to whom he is writing. And you can see he desires them to have a full and a clear understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because Romans is loaded page by page, verse by verse. We just see there's more knowledge and more knowledge and more context and more theology, and it just keeps coming. It's like a fire hose through Romans. And once these believers would have gotten through all what Paul had to teach them, they would have been filled indeed. They would have had a deep understanding. And Romans is there for us to gain that same sort of understanding. You might be a believer who's been in the faith actually for a long time, but you'd say to yourself, you know what, there are certain, there are certain gaps that I've got in my understanding, and I'd love to be able to fill those in. Well, Romans is for you. Or you might be here as one who's brand new in the faith, and you're like, I've been getting started, but, but there's a lot to learn, and, and there are more things that I'd love to know. Well, Romans is for you. You might be here today. You might be saying, you know what? I'm just exploring. I don't know that I'd call myself a saint at all. I just am trying to figure out more of what this is about. Well, Romans is for you too. Regardless of where you are on that spectrum of faith in Jesus, Romans is for you. And by the time we get to the end of this book, you are going to have understanding filled in in places that you did not previously understand. If you're here and wondering who is this Jesus and what is it about to have faith in Christ and to live in that and who am I as, as one, who, how to understand myself as, as a human being or made in God's image or as a sinner and, and hoping for something better, this is a book for you. So we're going to be journeying with our companions, the Apostle Paul and, and the Roman saints, and it's going to be a great trip. But you might say, but where are we going? I, I'm going to enjoy the companions, but where is this going to take us. We've shared a little bit about that, but Paul fills in on some of that here in this introduction between verse 1 where he says, here's the guy writing, and verse 7 where he says, here's the people who are being written to. And so we're going to look at that. In these verses, we see him setting the course. Setting the course. There are two central parts of the course. The first comes at the end of verse 1 where we see that he says, Paul says, that his life is focused on the gospel. The gospel. Now, to our ears, gospel sounds really religious. 
Even if you couldn't completely explain what the gospel is, you know it's a church word. You know that it is a, it's a spiritual word. But the thing is that Paul's readers wouldn't have heard it like that. Not the way that we do, not at all. It was just a standard term that was used in, in those days. And it just means good news. It's like a general who would go out into battle and he'd fight the battle and he'd win it and, and a messenger would come, come riding into town with the gospel, with the good news so that everybody could hear about the victory. That's how it works. Or maybe more up to date, you might declare the gospel or you might go out and declare the good news. For instance, if, if Pittsburgh ever brought a professional baseball team to town. You know, that'd be good news that we would love. It's just proclaiming that sort of, that's all that it really is. So what Paul is saying is that he's writing about the gospel, and he goes on to give some details. So let's look at it. It's the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. This is so important because he's saying, this isn't a new teaching. I'm not here to start a new religion says, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I am pointing back, first of all, and you should go back and you should read the prophets because they were all speaking of Jesus. Not everybody understood it, and that's why the Jews and the Christians diverged so much in when Jesus comes on the scene, why there was this big issue that divided them at that point. But the Old Testament all the way along has always been pointing to Jesus. Truth is, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it all points to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And we need to understand that. And that's what Paul is saying. Saying Jesus was talked about all the way along. And we could go back and we could go through all the, the, the virgin birth is spoken of in the Old Testament. Or, or that Jesus is of the line of David. Or that he's going to be named Emmanuel. Or that he's born in Bethlehem. Or that he would suffer and that he would die and that his death would be beneficial for, uh, for everybody else. And on and on we could go. All of it pointing forward to who Jesus is. But it's all there in the Old Testament as well. And that's what Paul is wanting to point out. And he adds about Jesus in verse 3, who was descended from David according to the flesh, that is, he's fully man, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. He's fully God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there's a very, very important thing that we need to understand if Romans is going to be transformational for us, if it's going to mean anything at all for us as we make our way along, as we think about the different things that it says, as we think about it in relationship to the gospel, something that we need to understand ourselves as we get into this. For those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, when you think about the gospel, I imagine that your thoughts are, well, mankind is sinful and had a problem, and Jesus came to our earth to solve that problem. He came and he died on the cross to take our sins with himself onto that cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was buried. He rose again three days later, ascended into heaven where he sits on the right hand of God, and what he has accomplished has provided for us salvation. You would say, that's the God. Amen, indeed. That is the gospel. And there's no, there's no denying that fact. But it leaves us with a problem. Here's my question. To whom is, the, is Romans written? To whom is Romans written? How would you fill in this blank? We've already said it once. It's the Roman saints, or by extension, it's actually all of the saints. That's you, and that is me. It's written to 
Christians is what we are wanting to say here and to point out. But let me ask you this. Why in the world would Paul write 16 chapters, 433 verses, to a bunch of Christians about the gospel if the gospel is the thing that really only takes them up to the place where they become a Christian? Why waste all of those words, all of that time, telling people something that they've already benefited from if that's all the further that it takes you? It's an important question. Or think about it like this. Imagine that you got a new job. And the job is down in Pittsburgh. And it's a perfect job. Perfect job for you, perfect wage, everything. Dream job. You're like, this is my job. But you don't have a reliable car. So you go out and you buy a new car so that you can make it every day down to Pittsburgh. They don't believe in Zoom. So you have to drive down every day. And you do. And you enjoy it. You love your job. And you're there several months, and your boss is like, you know what, you've never used any PTO time. You should probably take some time off. And you're like, okay, that'd be a great idea. And so you plan a trip to the Outer Banks. Who doesn't want to go to the beach? And so the day of your trip comes, your, worker, your coworkers are all excited for you. The first day of your, your trip comes, and you get in the car, and you drive down to work. And you pull into the parking lot, and you pop the trunk, and you get out your roller suitcase, and you start walking. And your coworkers see you out there and they're wondering, what in the world are you doing? And they come out and they ask you, what in the world are you doing? And you're like, I'm walking to the Outer Banks. And they'd be like, why? You have a brand new, perfectly new car. Why didn't you just drive your way to the Outer Banks? And you're like, oh, well, that's my work car. My work car can only make it to work. It can only get me to work. It can't get me to the Outer Banks. So to get there, I'm going to have to walk. Or I'm going to have to find out some other way, figure out some other way to get there. And they just kind of shake their head at you, and they think that you're nuts. And it's a ludicrous example, but many of us approach the gospel just like that. That's how we think about the gospel. The gospel is something that gets us into salvation, it is something that gets us faith in Jesus Christ. It provides for us an opportunity to cross the threshold of faith. And then it stops. And so many of us are living our lives in that fashion where we're so thankful for the gospel, and we should be. We're relying on the gospel, and we should rely on the gospel. But where we understand the gospel to only be able to take us up to the line of faith. And after that, it's something that can sort of just be, be jettisoned because we don't need that anymore. It's not going to benefit us anymore. So again, why do we have 16 chapters written to a group of Christians if they don't need it anymore? And the reason is because they do need it. The truth is that the gospel is every bit as foundational and essential for us as believers in Jesus as it is for us to become believers in Jesus. That's something we're going to have to understand if we make our way forward in this. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. I think I've got this one up here. I have been crucified with Christ. That sounds like gospel, what we typically think of as being gospel. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's the power of the cross that fills me for the new life, is what he is saying. It's no longer I who live, who live, ongoing. Not just who gets saved, 
who live, but Christ who lives in an ongoing sense in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself for me. Again, sounds like what we think of as being a part of the gospel, but it says, and the life I now live in the flesh. It's saying the life that I live as a human being in my life, as I move my way forward, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's bringing together this idea of what we typically think of as being gospel with how we move ourselves forward in the living of our lives. Or later on in Romans itself, in chapter 8, it says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that sounds very much like what we think of as traditional gospel, gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's saying that gospel is important, but not just for getting us to the threshold of faith, but to get us beyond it and to help us to the, for the living of our life. If you leave the gospel behind at the threshold of salvation, you will doubt and dismiss God's provision for meeting your needs for the ongoing living of your life. You will come to the place where you're facing some issue, some hardship, and you're going to be like, I guess I'm just going to have to stiff upper lip this one and get my way through it, or look for something that hopefully will help me, but the gospel is already exhausted in my life. I need to find something else, and for many of us, we struggle, and we wrestle through those circumstances of life because we're jettisoning, jettisoning, just jettisoning from us the very thing that provides us the power to get through it. So instead of just stiff upper lipping it, look to the cross, look to the resurrection of Jesus, rely on it, rest in it, pull it into your present moment and your present circumstance. Truth is, the gospel doesn't just defeat your past, it directs your future. And for many of us, we've missed that understanding, and we separate ourselves from the very thing that could help us to overcome the circumstances that we're facing in life. But for some of us, we really don't go that deep because we really don't care. Because for so many of us, or for, I shouldn't say that, for some of us, I fear that as long as we got ourselves to the point where I can say I've crossed the threshold of faith, the gospel has been effective in my life, what happens after that? Whatever. Yeah, I'd like to grow, but I don't really. Romans tells us how we maximize the moments after salvation. And it's looking to the same gospel to inspire and to lead and to give us the power that we need to overcome. That's what Romans can help us to do, and that's what we're going to see as we make our way along. So setting the course insists that we would see the centrality of the gospel for all of life. And it goes on. There's another centerpiece to it here also, and that is that it is centered on grace. On grace. Paul continues in verse 5 in talking about Jesus, through whom we have received grace. Grace is mentioned more in Romans than it is in any other book in the Bible. Keeps coming back to it again and again. Grace, we could define it like this. In fact, this is the definition we will use. The unmerited gift of God's favor. The unmerited gift of God's favor. That's what the gospel is. It is good news that he has chosen to add to us something that we did nothing to deserve. We did nothing to earn it. It is simply a gift of God to provide for us our deepest need. And he did it out of his love for us. That's grace. 
and grace changes everything. That's what we're going to keep coming back to. That's going to be the unity, the thread that moves us through this letter, that grace changes everything. It's God's grace that wakes your heart to have any spiritual interest at all. It is God's grace that meets us where we are and offers to wipe the slate clean and give us a brand new start. There are things that you would want to be past in your life, things that you'd love to leave kind of in the rearview mirror and be done with. By God's grace, that can happen. It's by God's grace that we walk into the circumstance where we recognize our sin and that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do about it, and grace steps in and does everything for us. It is God's grace that enables us to experience a change in relationships that are broken or in prejudices that exist or in hearts that are hard. Grace changes everything. Paul wraps it up here, at least this section, what we haven't looked at yet, verse 5 as it continues. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, an apostle, what he means there is, is you've been made an apostle, not capital A like Paul, like the disciples, but an apostle in the sense of an apostle is one who's just sent out. That's who we are with a message. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. To make much of Jesus wherever we go. In other words, to be a witness. To be a witness, that's where we're called to, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Interesting way he says that. You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's what he says that we are. Or maybe you noticed it in verse 7 when we read it a while ago. Maybe that stuck out to you. That believers are loved by God and called to be saints. Regardless of your personal theological framework, what that means is that God calls people to faith in him. God is reaching out. We're people who are focused only on ourselves. And so if we have any spiritual interest at all, it's because we have been awakened by God's call, by God wooing us toward himself. And if that is the case, you might be here today and be sort of feeling a bit of a tug. Well, if you're feeling a tug, that tug is coming directly from God. He is the one who's doing it because left to ourselves, we don't push ourselves forward. We're tapped on the shoulder by God and invited forward. And if that's what you're experiencing, if you're feeling any tug to go deeper, to go into who God is, or maybe as an explorer to come to know and understand more of who Jesus is, then don't push that off. Don't set that aside. That is God working, speaking directly to you, and you need to respond. And I want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. Would everybody just bow your heads with me? I can think of no better time than as we begin a look at this letter all about the grace of God reaching to us to provide for us what we can't possibly provide for ourselves and offering us an entrance into relationship with God through the gospel that Paul has given his life to preach 
of Jesus' love, of his death on the cross, and of the offer of new life for us through the power of his resurrection. I can think of no better response to that tap on that shoulder, to that tug, than to say, yes, Lord. Friend, you might be here and you might be like, well, I don't understand all the details of it. Neither did Augustine. He had three words, three verses. He's like, that's where I want to place my faith. And on and on and on, people down through the ages, Romans has just been that which has drawn them in. Well, God might be drawing you in right now. And if you would say, yes, I want to be more deeply connected. I want that relationship with God. I want his grace applied to my life through the gospel. And you pray something just like this. Dear God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what it means that it speaks of Jesus' love for me, that he came and died for my sin, that I could be forgiven. I ask you for that forgiveness. And I want to put my faith and my trust in you. That's your prayer. It's done. <laughs> it's settled. And you can enter into this book as a saint, a believer in Jesus, one for whom the abundant grace of God has been poured out on you, and we rejoice together with you. Before you go, if you have prayed that prayer, I would invite you to let us know. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, and in the room that you are in. But if you would let us know by writing down on the Connect card that you're going to be turning in, just simple words, I trusted Jesus. Then we'll know. We've been encouraged in recent days to, to see people coming to faith in Christ and, and you can be one of those. And we look forward to knowing about it. It's important that we would we would express the decisions that we've made. So do that before you go and then drop that in the offering bucket or, or hand it to me and we'll, we'll be praying for you and working to assist you as you move your way forward. Lord, I pray for everybody else as well, all of us who need to embrace the gospel, not just as something that helps us cross the threshold of faith, but something that gives us the power to live day by day by day. Lord, may we rejoice in the gospel, not set it aside because that's for people who don't know Jesus yet, but rather to recognize it's for every one of us because the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection can transform in each and every moment and circumstance of life. Lord, thank you for this amazing, amazing letter. I pray that you would work in us as we open up ourselves up to what you have to say to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.